0: Hey, you know what, guys? This right here, this rambling, boring conversation containing already-made-before observations,
2: this could be a podcast. Well, it's
0: actually not a bad idea. Really? A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one.
2: Well,
4: that's it. We're anyone. Let's do a podcast from right here in the booth. Who's in? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Is it happening? Are we doing it now? Awesome. Welcome to another episode of the BRFCS Podcast. Three-parter for you this time round. In part one, we'll be talking to Andy Bays from BBC Radio Lancashire, and we'll also have a little chat with Rovers legend Colin Hendry. They'll be telling us all about a fantastic charity match that's due to take place next year. Part two, our illustrious panel, including Rich Sharp from the Lancashire Telegraph, will review the transfer window that's just completed. And in part three, we'll pick up once more with Rovers Analytics' Joe Harvey, and he'll be talking about possession. And we can learn just how important a factor that is in predicting Rovers' results. 24 you there, so let's start straight away by talking to Andy and Colin. So on this episode of the BRFCS.com podcast, I'm delighted to have um, two guests tonight, the first of which is uh, a friend of the podcast, it's Andy Bayes from Radio Lancashire. Andy, how are you this evening?
3: I'm great, thanks Ian.
4: Uh, I saw on your Twitter feed yesterday something which uh, piqued my interest, which was uh, regarding um, your good friend, well our good friend, I guess Lenny John Rose as well, uh, we're not in the habit of previewing a football match in advance, let alone six or seven months in advance, but for this we'll make an exception because it's such a good cause. There's something going on at Bamba Bridge next year. Would you like to tell us what you've got in store?
3: Yes, Sunday the 16th of May at uh, Bamba Bridge. It's Lens 11, of which there will be a lot more than 11 of us, hopefully, uh, against Hollyoaks, um, who are a very competitive group of lads who, who play football. And uh, Lens 11, the, the management team will be Tony Parks and uh, Steve Elliott, uh, two people who, who we know very well who um, sadly have dementia. Um, and um, the day will will be to raise money for the Len John Rose Trust, the East Lancashire Hospice, and Sporting Memories. So they're the three causes close to the heart of, of, of me and so many others who are taking part in the day. And there's some wonderful, wonderful legends of football going to be taking part on the day, which I, I cannot wait.
4: The, I've looked at the, uh, the I suppose it's the very tentative team sheet that, that you tweeted yesterday. Uh, the, the number six, what, what can you tell me about him?
3: Well, I can tell you that he's a big defender who will be lining up alongside two other big defenders wearing four and five, Samba and Hendry. Um, I, I think both of them have got at least a foot on me. Um, so uh, th- there might well be some free-kick routines where I can get on the shoulders of, of one or perhaps both.
4: Literally standing on the shoulders of giants, then, is that the idea?
3: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, to, to be given the number six shirt, the, the mickey-taking I've had over the uh, last 24 hours saying, you, number six, centre-half, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it will be fun. Uh, that That's a certain...
4: When did you last play in 11-a-side game, Andy? Oh, dear. um. Well, that long ago completely. clearly.
3: Do you know that one of the last games that I played was in a in a charity match and uh, Ian Rush was on my team and I played the ball down the channel for Rushi to run after and I never did it again with a look on his face when I met, when a pass of mine made him run. Uh, so um, I, 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 I'm happily retired from playing most forms of football.
4: Okay. Uh, but
3: for any sort of charitable cause, um, I'm more than happy to... Uh, uh, put a kit on, and then uh, be in the bar with
4: them all after. That's very selfless of you. So alongside, you've got someone who's uh, going to be your bodyguard, as we sort of said, and it's my very, very special, uh, very great pleasure to welcome uh, Colin Hendry. How are you, Colin?
5: Evening. I'm very well, Ian, yes. Good. And you're, you're, you're
4: looking forward to uh, playing alongside Mr Bays, I mean, another feather in your cap, obviously.
5: I'm sure Andy will carry me along. Um <laughs> between me and Chris. I mean, you can just see it. I mean, I don't know I don't know the permutation. I don't know if we're going to play three at the back. If we're playing three at the back, obviously Andy's going to control me and big Chris Samba. It's, it's never in doubt that, that that's what's going to happen. Um, we'll be getting told, I would think, exactly what our, uh, what our what our orders are for that day, for that game specifically. And I mean, I've played against, against Hollyoaks a few times and... We've, we've, three or four, maybe even five times. I've played against them now. Um, in relation to Tony Cartwright, who's organised the, the team along with uh, Lenny and a few others. Uh-huh. But it's, you know, we're, we're looking forward to it. And it's, pay you asked Andy last time he played a game of football. I mean, I, I can hardly remember the last time I played, but I do keep reasonably fit. But it's, it's a different type of fitness. Playing well, a naturally. game of footy in yeah. relation to yeah. riding a bike or running, running the streets, as they say.
4: Well, I was going to say, you're looking very lean and fit these days, Colin, but uh, there were some pictures on your social media a while ago, you turning out for, was it a pub side in
5: Blackburn? Poppy May, yeah, it was um, Dad's Army. It was, it was it, it, what happened was I got, I got tweeted on obviously Twitter and would you come and play for us? And it, the, the manager of the team, Daz Hartley, Darren, yeah. he consistently messaged me to say, come come for a game, come for a game. And generally I play in Lytham St. Anne's where I've been there for 20 years and over 35 on a Sunday afternoon. It's pretty competitive stuff, 20, 30 games a season. So I changed my allegiance from Lytham to Blackburn, played for Poppy May, uh, Dad's Army and three or four times in the proper open Sunday league. And, you know, it took me back a bit, <laughs> if I'm being really honest. It wasn't something that I thought I could actually cope with, but I managed to and um Enjoy, enjoy myself and now and again I turn, I've been asked again recently but because of the situation with COVID and everything else it's, yeah. it's just a bit it's a bit dicey at the moment it's just a bit, bit of a chance to take at this moment in time I'd say
4: yeah well, I've got to confess, I'm uh, I am I'm a little bit older than you, not much, but a little bit, and I pulled a calf muscle tonight standing up from the very chair that I'm sat in <laughs> because I turned in too quickly and pushed off on my left leg and I, I felt this sharp pain. So uh, if you need somebody on the day to just stand there with some raldex or some, uh, some freezing spray, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to fulfil that role, but I think... Uh, the thought of running around and actually sort of sweating is uh, is just a bit too much looking across the team sheet then i can see that there are, there are other some um, some other andy some colleagues of yours as well as some former colleagues of Colin's as well uh, there's a mr liver number 14 is he a, is he a regular footballer do you know
3: uh no he's not um, splendid <laughs> but uh, he, he he'll be he'll be standing there don't worry about that
4: um Pointing. There, there
3: are some brilliant, brilliant lads coming um if you've seen Brett Ormrod play, Brett, Brett is, is still a really good footballer. Matt Janssen is um, down as the number 10 for the day. Uh, Kevin Gallagher, who played goodness knows how many times with Cole for Scotland and for Rovers. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this. And, and he's, his name has only been just announced recently. Bobby Mims is in goal. I mean, the, the lasting memory I've got of Colin and Mimsy is the playoffs against Derby when when they went two 0 down, and Carl just giving Bobby one of those looks when Bobby was in no man's land, and and the second goal goes in, and uh, and, and I just wonder whether he get the same again in that game.
4: Well, to, to Bobby's eternal credit, there's um, a clip which I've retweeted from the BRFCS account tonight of uh, in the promotion year away at uh, at Millwall, where Bobby has an absolute blinder. Uh, and he, he pulls off two or three absolutely cracking saves. So if he's anything like that kind of form, then I'm sure it will be uh, it will be something worth seeing. Uh, Colin, if we could just move away from uh, the, the Lenny John Rose match, we'll come back in a second, but of course, this year, 25 years and all that sort of good stuff, it's, it's such a shame, obviously, that with lockdown and COVID, the celebrations and what we might have expected to happen have, have kind of had to be put on ice. How much do you mm. remember of that season, and in particular, I guess, the, the, the final day at Anfield?
5: Well, the final day at Anfield obviously sticks out in everybody's mind. You know, any it's old enough, 25 years ago, it's, it's incredible to think we're talking 25 years ago. But um, the day itself, was quite it's quite easy to remember because it was such a difficult day, um, you know, to go there and get beat and still win the league, you know, wasn't the way we planned it, but you're going to if for Blackburn we're going to do it the hardest way, of course. Um, but we've got we've got to, we've got to thank Ludo Mclochlin at West Ham for that on that day. I think he was the man that kept United at bay. Um, but whilst you're playing in the game itself, for example, it wasn't a lot of help from the sidelines because obviously it was a packed packed out house. Um, the Blackburn fans were just hoping that we don't we don't well we win the game we win the league. We don't get beat. I think it was the next best thing, and you know, one a up to go two one down with, I don't know, five four, three four minutes to go. It was, it was out of our hands. We don't really know what to do. Yeah, but then of course the news came across this, uh, from the sidelines and uh, talking about Bobby Mims. who Mims, was there on the sidelines with Ray and and Kenny and uh, Tony Gale, uh, and it was it was incredible that um, we managed to get over the line. Hell of a how did you actually hear on the pitch? So
4: Redknapp puts the ball but, in, and there's just yeah. that that sinking feeling in the fans. God knows what it was like to be like actually on the pitch. But how did the news get relayed?
5: Yeah, we, we didn't really know what to do. To be fair, at that point, the only thing that's, that that was I'll never ever leave me is when Chris Sutton jumped on Alan Shearer to celebrate whilst the game was going on. Now, <laughs> a bit of a giveaway. If, he'd got it, if he got it, I tell you what, if he'd got it wrong, my God, if he'd got that wrong city, <laughs> but. Obviously, the word had come from the touchline from the dugout that yeah. uh, we'd won the league. And seeing that was enough for me because, yeah, there was players celebrating and, and so of did jump on Isle as I remember it, and but the game's still going on. You know, and, and we're thinking, if we get a goal back, anything can happen. We can, we can still win this 3-2. If we get a goal back, we need to get that goal back. But we're out of time, more or less. Surreal. Crazy, surreal times. Incredible Incredible um, atmosphere and, and, you know, nothing we could do about it. We could we could do anything about it. The good thing is we we went ahead, but we just couldn't sustain it. competing and, and keeping keeping the lead. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose that it
4: was a bit of a double-edged sword that day. But in the end, with Liverpool actually beating us, it removed any of that um, question that would have come from Fergie. I'm sure, about them laying down arms on the day and just giving us the three points yeah, that we got it, the title. Yeah,
5: it was pretty quiet after the game. I mean, leading up to leading up to the game you know I think it was prior to the Newcastle game that week he said or sorry after the Newcastle game Blackburn are still capable of a Devon Lock and of course we all remember Devon Lock the horse that fell at the final fence in the Grand National so he tried Fergie tried but of course and he didn't say much I think he did congratulate us but he couldn't say too much after uh, the game at Anfield or or their retrospective game at West Ham because They didn't, they didn't manage to beat West Ham, sort of thing. So he couldn't really say so much. And of course, for a Liverpool fan, it was a no lose day. Um, Kennedy Iglesias comes back to Anfield. If Blackburn win, they win the title, prevents Black, uh, Man United winning the title. If Liverpool beat Blackburn, well, we're Liverpool fans anyway. We're season two gold, whatever. We're there for the game. We want, we want to see Liverpool win. So it was a no lose for a Liverpool fan on the day.
4: Yeah, it was a an absolutely extraordinary day, as you say, quite the roller coaster of emotions. But. Uh... Twenty-five years. That's the really scary thing. Crazy, yeah, crazy. That's a really, really, scary thing. So, just to wrap up, thanks, thanks both for your time, obviously. But uh, how do people get tickets for this then, Andy? Where do they go? We can tweet out a link, I guess. Yes, we will send you the
3: link. Um, the, the best place to go is on Facebook, really, and, and put Lens Eleven into the search engine on uh, on Facebook, and it will take you through to all the details. and That will take you through to a website where you can buy the tickets. I think the in advance, £5.50 for adults and £4 for children. Under six is free. Um, and you just need to take your email confirmation with you on the day. Yeah. Uh, tickets yeah. are available on the day, I believe. But um, I would encourage people to get them sooner rather than later because uh, just by uh, putting it on um, social media yesterday, uh, I know a lot of people weren't really aware of it and, and now are. So yes. uh, they'll, they'll want to go... And we must say, Collins mentioned him already. Tony Cartwright does an amazing job Incredible. Of, of raising money for fabulous charities and, and the work he's doing uh, to get this game on and to include Tony Parks, who we know isn't well, and Steve Elliott as well. Um, it, it's a mark of Tony, who is just a great guy. And we, we we're really grateful for him being around to sort all this out because it, without him, it wouldn't happen.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of um, behind-the-scenes admin on things like this, I guess, to get them off the ground. And thanks to Bamber Bridge, of course, as well, for for hosting it. So for people that can't actually make the game but still would want to donate, uh, I see that there's Len's Fightback Fund, which he's using to raise money uh, for motor neurone disease. So again, we'll tweet a link out to that. But if uh, if you want to donate to the cause but you can't actually make it on the day or for whatever reason, you just perhaps want to donate to the cause it's no bad thing, then then do so. I'm sure that the funds will go to a tremendous um, a tremendous purpose. So it just remains to thank you both. Uh, surprise guest, Mr. Henry, as well. That's very kind of you to, to join us. Uh, Andy, thanks once again, thank obviously, for, for all thank your efforts. You. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll speak nearer the time as well. But uh, as you say, there's already been a tremendous amount of interest uh, raised. And if you need someone to carry a bucket and sponge on the day, then I'd, I'd be more than happy to volunteer. Or You could fill
3: your boots for the podcast with all these lads coming in. That um, would be terrific. Be very welcome to I, shall,
4: I shall hold you to that. And in return, I'm sure BRFCS.com can make a, a contribution to the fund. Thanks, both gentlemen. It's been a pleasure as always.
5: All right.
4: Matt Hall and you might know me from such works as the audiobook of Matt Janssen's autobiography. But this is the BRFCS Podcast. So that was the transfer window that was. I think we saw a lot more activity than perhaps we expected and so we thought it would be good to try and chew the cud and sort of reflect on what's happened and what that might mean for Rover season. And I'm delighted to be joined tonight by an esteemed panel including our good friend Rich Sharp from the um, Lancashire Telegraph. Uh, Stalwart of the pod, that's my standard introduction now. at Linz is, uh, is with us again. Uh, Mr. DeLapp, live from Hillsborough, but not from Sainsbury's, thankfully. And we have Louis G back with us again. Uh, as himself, he's not in character this time to discuss all things Rovers. So let's get straight into it then. And Rich, the European deadline has passed. When the European one finished, I think the general feeling was that Rovers have perhaps decided not to participate in this transfer window. How unexpected was it then over the last week of the domestic window?
6: Um, I think the European passing one wasn't too much of a surprise with the way things were going. From conversations at the club, I think the goalkeeping situation was always going to be resolved with the overseas goalkeeper, uh, given the work that they'd done with that. always thought the majority of the other positions would be through domestic signings, which obviously you've got that extra 10 days to do. So Sturgiakis came out of absolutely nowhere. I'll I'll admit to that. I've had no idea about that one. And I think from the conversation since, I think it was just something that fell into the lap. It ticked a few boxes and was a very cheap option. Uh, having not done a great deal about him, I thought that might be it for the goalkeeper department. But I think it soon became... Clear that they were going to look for another. Always thought a left back was coming in, a central midfielder as well. I'd always, I'd always been told that was another one. So for me, the only the bonus ball was Harvey Elliott, really, and the extra added goalkeeper. I always did think they would bring in a left back and a central midfielder once the European window had closed.
4: So is Sturridge truly a result of the European scouting network, or do you think there's agent activity involved there?
6: Uh, well, I think they'd done so much work when Raya left. I think the plan then was to always go down the overseas route. I think they saw value uh, in bringing goalkeepers in from overseas. But whenever you've not got one over the line, I think that's what made it difficult to try and get some deals deals done. I think they were just waiting for, for one to get done. So they've, they've done a lot of work around it. The way these things come about, they'll have been some conversations and some reason that he's come on the radar. And at the end of the day, he's a 21-year-old who's signed for nothing. Yeah. Who can only improve and can only bring extra value. So I think they saw it as a bit of a a shot to nothing with him, really, and we'll we'll see how he goes.
4: A worthwhile punt, indeed. Harvey Elliott, as you say. Are are Rovers and and Liverpool now like best buddies? It seems that since we played (laughs) that friendly with them, that Klopp and Mowbray are... uh, well, that Moby's changed his style of play almost like to try and mimic Liverpool.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I did just to put on record, really nice guy. I mean, it's everyone thinks speaking to the press and speaking football is easy, but I've spoken to a lot of footballers who've not been able to handle the press like a 17 year old lad was able to do um, this week. He, he was very impressive, uh, spoke really well. The stuff about playing like Liverpool and style of play is a nice line, isn't it? Um, (laughs) How much much is actually in it, I'm I'm not too sure. But um, in January, they tried for for Curtis Jones. And I think once that came around this window, I think that was uh, obviously never going to happen because they wanted to keep him around. And I think the plan of Liverpool seems, from everyone that I've spoken to, was to keep Elliot around, obviously with Harry Wilson going out. I know Shaqiri stayed. And I think Rovers just put a pitch together that Liverpool thought worked for them and worked for him. Uh, geography, the coaching staff, obviously. Um, Mowbray's worked with Ryan Kent uh, when he was at Coventry. They had him on loan from Liverpool. So mm-hmm. there, there's past history there. So, yeah. And I, I think that one just, just came together, really. Um, it was a surprise that it did come about, but I think it was a... A nice surprise, really, and um, one that just... He was probably the most exciting one for your Certainly. social media numbers and yeah, your chatter yeah. uh, and the word that gets around. Tied up a, a busy deadline day and a, and a good window.
4: I presume we're not paying for him the amounts of money that Cardiff City are paying for Harry Wilson. Uh, no,
6: um, so I've obviously read a lot of stories about Liverpool and clauses that they put into into deals Fines is probably the wrong word, but um, payments that you have to make if if you don't keep your end of the bargain. Knowing Tony Mowbray, that won't be happening at Rovers. They won't he won't allow for anything like that to be dictated to who plays in his team, uh, and he pretty much said as much without saying that in yeah. uh, in today's press conference. So I don't like to talk about wages, but he's on he's on a good wage for a seventeen year old. Rovers will be paying paying their percentage, but I think. He's gone with the blessing of Liverpool, and he's wanted to come. And he had the decision of where to go. And I think the fact he's picked over speaks volumes for uh, for the work they're doing behind the scenes.
4: Well, it's good for him that he wants to he wants to fight for a place in a team and learn by playing. Which I think the you know the temptation to perhaps just sit back and, and draw the wages and play the occasional League Cup tie and come on as an 80th minute sub. It's nice to see that he uh, he wants to do all that. How's all this been funded then, Richard? Because we've got no money and we've had no gates since February.
6: The one thing that I think really threw me and everything, so everything was running to fairly, kind of being what I'd been told behind the scenes. And then he did, nobody did the press after the Wickham game, and just came out and it was like, and that's where Beasy mentioned Ryan Manning, which I was always told there was never going to be a seven-figure signing, which is why initially I thought, hmm, wonder where the Kipray, and then Kipray came on the scene about nine hundred grand, so I thought, well, there's there's that there. But when, when he said no to Ryan Manning and he was like, We've got no money whatsoever. I'm not really keen on a on a left back. We've got other areas of the pitch. And I'm sat there thinking, <laughs> What my, where, where's this come from? Uh, and he literally did use the words like we we have only money for two or three loans. But I guess at the end of the day they spent four hundred and fifty grand on Kaminsky. They spent a couple of hundred grand on Ainsley Pairs. Ayala isn't on the money that he was at Middlesbrough but he's, he's on a decent wage and he's got a three-year deal yeah um so I need to remember they've lost some decent earners off the books as well so I think it's about in line with what I expected to be honest and just yeah like you say the, the continued funding of of the owners I know everyone saw the bit about the six million pound share issue which Everyone seems to make a massive deal of whatever. Every year, the same that thing. That comes yeah. around two or three times a season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Benkees bank, are putting money into the club, shocker, which I know I've read, it's not something you can overlook, but it is one of those things where it, it's needed to, to keep the club running. So certainly don't think there was anything that suddenly flicked a switch and it changed. I think these were the kind of deals that they were always expected to Yeah. To look to.
4: Mm. Well, it's, it's certainly, uh, I think, changed expectations, lifted the spirits. Let's go around our panel now and get some thoughts on those on the signings that we've made and, and, and how we feel about it. Lynn, can I come to you first of all? Then, how effective do you think the recruitment has been? What to, to what extent do you think it's plugged the gaps? <laughs>
1: Um, I think they've done the best with the limited resources that they've got, to be honest, and sort of stepping away from the practicalities of it. Wasn't it just lovely to have a day where we all enjoyed ourselves? Like, I got no work done. I don't know about anybody else, but (laughs) I was just constantly on Twitter or checking what was happening. And like the ridiculous rumours that you hear and think, no, not a chance, were actually coming true. Because I saw Harvey Elliott floating around and thought, never. And then suddenly... There he was holding on Trav's shirt, which was all a bit bizarre. But, you know, how very rovers to announce Harvey Elliott holding Lewis Travis's shirt. I suppose the club
4: shop isn't open yet, is it? So I don't know when they could get one printed. Don't get
1: me started <laughs> on shirts again, Ian. We'll be here all day. Don't get me started. Um, I think they've done really well. And I think they, they announced it well. I thought the social media team were quite funny and quite engaging I think they've made the best of it since I actually pretended to do some research and watch some of the stuff that they've put out before I came on here and yeah I think it's just created a a nice buzz and the two very obvious positions that we needed in a goalkeeper and a left back they've exceeded what I thought it would bring to be honest so yeah I'm fairly happy.
4: Good stuff. Mike, what, what have you heard about the uh, the signings that were brought in then and what, what's, your, what's it done to your state of mind and expectations for this season? You're always positive, anyways.
7: Yeah, tricky, really. You don't want to delve into my state of mind. That's an ugly little door to open, to be honest. And In terms of recruitment, it, obviously, it sounds almost a bit
5: you
7: know, of a, of a cop-out to say, but until we signed them, I had no idea what a Tom Tribal was. Um, so, you know, we've got to look at it like I, he could be amazing, he could be somewhere in the middle or something. So, It's genuinely hard to say with half of them. The one thing I've been particularly pleased with is it what this summer's demonstrated or this transfer window's demonstrated is, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes at Rovers and I think a lot of fans give it credit for. It's almost like we just run over to Middlesbrough and sign someone who's been released and then occasionally we just bring someone in and loan. Other than that, we just bundle out a load of excuses. What we've seen this time round, of course, is we've gone into Europe, picked up some good value signings. We'll come on to him later, but I think that uh, Kaminski and Goal absolutely smash him for the money that we've spent on him. And also as well, the fact that Mowbray's gone out there or the transfer team have gone out there and physically rung up Liverpool which was a great little visual in my head and pitched to to bring a player in and they weren't that keen on loading him out in the first place it shows how proactive the club's been in in quite tricky times and proof will be in the pudding but All the summer signings they've made, I've looked down the list and I can't really see an alarming signing, which is quite strange for us as well.
4: Yes, it is. It's a a rare state of positivity. What could possibly go wrong? Well, we're playing Watford tomorrow, so we'll (laughs) hold that thought. Louis, you're a student, so of course you have nothing better to do all day than sort of go on Transfer Market and do loads of research and read back copies of Four Four Two. So I'm expecting you to give us the full autobiographical detail of all the seven players we've brought in. Who caught your eye?
0: I'd say... Douglas from Leeds especially. But that is just because of uh like I said in the last last podcast, one of my very good friends is a Leeds fan. And I remember I he just I asked him about it, I went, Is Douglas still the player he was at Wolves and, and when they when they got promoted and is he still the player he was, you know, in this season you got promoted and he was like, Yeah, yeah, he's he's it's yeah, I think he's one of them at Leeds, he's a bit of a cult hero, but wasn't isn't good enough for the for the top flight quite annoyed that one of the you know one of his favourite players has come towards Barry Douglas very, very sort of excited to see him and Kaminsky with the like he looks he looks fantastic already, again with the money we've spent on him and and Dolan, again, I, I was uh, I was praising him last podcast as well. He looks fantastic so far for such a young lad and who who expected Know, Tyrese Dolan. So, what he played every single game, I think, so far this season, or maybe every single game but one. Who who expected that from this young lad who's you know been released from Preston's academy? Yeah. Uh, who, who expected that? And I'm just, uh, I I was quite disappointed. Not disappointed. My, my expectations weren't that high when the European deadline passed. I wasn't. I wasn't too disappointed, but I was thinking, I think we're lacking a few players here. I think. I think we're just a little bit short. Sure if we, if you know, the talk in the past couple of seasons of you know, all we need to get top six. We're going to be getting top six. We're looking to get top six. I thought we were a bit short, and then, then like like Lin said, it was just having basically the day off scrolling through Twitter and looking at all these fantastic signings. Well, what we hopefully uh, are going to be uh, hope, hopefully going to be fantastic signings.
4: So one of the challenges, I guess, is is how do you integrate all those players into the side? Rich, I don't know whether you've seen or, or heard um, Tony on Radio Lancashire earlier. He was basically structuring expectations amongst the fans by sort of saying things like, well, they've got to watch all the videos and they've got to learn all the defensive drills and you're not going to throw them all in. It's just so typical of Tony Mowbray that he gets the fans all excited and then would <laughs> refuse to play any of these players. Who, who do you think is likely to hit the ground running and how do you think he's going to accommodate?
6: He spoke for that long this morning. I think he did eventually come round to the fact that we will see them the line that I used, anyway, was they'll probably, in an ideal world, that would be the scenario, but the way the squad is at the minute isn't an ideal world, so they're probably going to play sooner than the players and probably nobody would have expected. I'm very excited about Tom Tribal. I think he does things that nobody in the Blackburn Rovers squad currently can do, and I think if we're going to persist with four-three-three, I think somebody playing that deepest-lying role and be able to pick a pass because I think for all Johnson's qualities and Travis's qualities, they're not suited to that role. And I think from everything I've seen, read and heard about Tribal, I think he can play that play that position. Uh, I can see Elliot getting on at, who are they playing, Watford. Uh, he's done that before he threw Holtby on at Reading in the last 15 minutes. He did it with Casey Palmer at, Ipswich on the opening day. So I think they're the kind of players that he will throw in there. I think somebody like Douglas might have to wait, you know, a bit longer. I think Bell might get a bit longer in that position. Tribal's only played six games in twenty twenty, so might have to might have to wait a bit. But I think Elliot will probably interchange with those forward players in the in the wide areas. And I think Ainsley Pairs is just an upgrade on what they had as the as competition for, yeah. for Kaminsky really.
4: I'm seeing Tribal as cover for Travis. A couple of Norwich City fans on my Twitter timeline, guys that I've followed, both said, very spoke very highly of him. Sort of said so when he, when he in their promotion season, he was instrumental. Um, he just got caught out a bit in the Premier League, and they, they replaced him, and he's, he's struggled with injuries, as you say. Uh, echoing Louie's point, I think Barry Douglas is the one. Again, a couple of Leeds-supporting um, fans that I, I work with both spoke very highly of him. One of them in particular said, you need the Wolverhampton Wanderers, Douglas, though, because the Leeds United version one kept getting injured. That was the biggest problem. Yeah,
6: with, with any signing, particularly on loan, you're always going to get, like, there's always going to be a reason why they're coming to Blackburn Rovers, why Tom Tribal's available, why yeah. Barry Douglas is available. There's there's always these reasons behind him, That's it? uh that which was obviously going to have to iron out and just hope, like you said, they can get the the best versions of all these players.
4: Absolutely, Mike.
6: I
7: know not everyone's a big fan of all these little verbal sound bites in football, but I was really, really almost sort of touched, I would say, by the lead donor when yes. Douglas came to us. He actually penned him a bit of a a letter, basically saying thanks for all your hard work and commitment. You've been a joy, a great example, and I think it warms my cockles a bit more because obviously, you know, five, ten years ago. There was a lot of questionable characters hanging around the club, and seeing these ones come in who do get warm reviews and held up as examples uh, you know of, of good good people it, it helps the club as well because you want to see these people represent you and I just thought it was a nice little moment that you don't see too often.:
4: Yeah, it was the director of football wasn't it that, that wrote any sort of he called the thing that stuck with me was uh, the influence in the dressing room. Uh, And I think that that's something that would definitely strike a chord with Mowbray. Graham Souness always used to talk about proper players and son-in-law material and all that sort of good stuff. And I think Mowbray's cut from the same class. He looks for the attitude and it's almost like he can train everything else as long as the attitude's right, which is why I'll also be particularly keen to see what happens with Elliot because you can imagine if the likes of Jurgen Klopp have had hold of him that they will have a, a very... Clearly defined path that they want him to go down, and they must trust mowbray with with such an asset, given that we brought all those players in, are there any holes that needed to be plugged? Was there anything else that you were hoping that would happen that perhaps didn't Did we miss out or have we covered all the holes?
1: It comes back to budgets, really. It would have been lovely perhaps to have had slightly better people in positions, but we just don't have the money to to do that and at the end of this if there ever is an end of all of this I want a club to come back to and I'm really mindful that we rely so heavily on income from the gate or from merchandise or from whatever else we can chip in that they're not getting that actually I think they've been really really sensible um, in terms of what they've done and I think part of how it's got to be framed to the newbies and to the current squad is it matters now more than ever what you're playing for and who you're playing for. Because in all of this chaos, there's a lot of people that you see on our social media feeds all the time are relying on these lads when they go out on to the pitch. Not particularly bothered if they win, but to give their best. And I yeah. think what he's looking what Mowbray's looking to do is to bring in people who want to play for us and want to make that impact so I'd actually take a possibly a lesser player but with a better character who can be molded than somebody that's going to come in and we're going to hate and we're all going to end up falling out about it and it just creates a drama in a world of drama I like the attitudes that I've seen and actually I trust that Mobes will work with his team to make them better and to make them play our way I think we've got a style now and we've got an attitude we've got something to be proud of and I'm quite protective of that really.
4: That's the old saying is recruit for attitude and then train for skills I think I see a lot of that in, in Mowbray for sure. Uh, Louis what, what do you think will be the impact on the existing squad players then who are you expecting to respond to the stimulus of these new players coming in?
0: The, these lumps already Seems such a tight knit group, seems so like they they just seem like good mates. Like it's you know, it's we've we've all worked in these places where you know you you work and you don't really get on with a lot of people, and it's a bit of a bit of a ball. That seemed what it was like a few years ago, and now you know, obviously, ironically, since we went down since Mowbray came in, since we sort of had that fantastic season in League One, that everyone's everyone seems to be mates, everyone seems to be getting along, and it just seems like I think, if anything, it will hopefully help these players who are coming in. To improve, and if if I may speak on Elliot for a second, but he seems that such a positive influence. Well, he is such a positive influence on the team and on the club. So hopefully, it's again, it's these young lads, Harvey Elliot, for example, who, like you say, Klopp has obviously got a very, he's got a path to help him already. That um, the, the you know the Elliot Bennett's of the of the club coming and put his, put his arm around the shoulder and go, you know what, mate, this is this is how we do it here. I feel like our the plays we've got will have a better effect on the plays coming in. Yeah. if you get what I mean. Obviously, maybe with the, the, the promotion winningness of of Douglas in Tribal, maybe that'll be, I hope, well, hopefully that'll be a positive influence, but like I say, the, the players out of the squad already will hopefully have a, a fantastic effect on the players coming, get yeah. them into that sort of Rovers, Rovers mentality as it were in there. It's,
4: it's certainly yeah. good experience to have in the squad. I think people have won promotion before from this division. Mm. Mm. I don't think that, that does any harm whatsoever. I think that, that experience mm. in the dressing room is is really, really vital.
5: The
7: two players that sort of spring to mind when you say about who's going to fear about losing the place are going to be um, Derek Williams and Amari Bell, really, the ones that spring to me. Derek Williams, I think, actually was rather unlucky last year. I'm not saying Adabar, uh, Adara Bayo didn't end up being an upgrade on him because he was, but he was actually genuinely playing quite well at the start of last season until he got sort of usurped and a little injured as well. And there's very much the risk of that happening again. Now that Ayala and Lenahan are looking towards, obviously forging a bit of a partnership, and you've already seen with Amari Bell at left back, as well, obviously Douglas has come in to compete with him, and you would expect him in time to, you know, sort of take over the role more permanently. But last few weeks, Bell's responded. I think uh, you know he's always been a bit of a divisive player, and realistically, looking at him physically and what he's capable of, with a bit more confidence, there's no reason he actually. Couldn't have or can't be a Premier League left back. Mm. It just seems to it just seems to not quite have it in the head of times, and he does frustrate. But last couple of weeks, he's he's really responded. He's played quite well.
4: It's going to be interesting to see when he when he yeah, his place genuinely comes under threat. I guess, but he, he has been putting some form together. Rich, when you when you're watching the squad and and you you you're seeing you seen Mowbray in press conferences. When new players come in? To what extent does it excite the squad and make them think that there's more potential versus have them fearing for the place do you get a sense of what that means amongst the the players that you speak to
6: we spoke to Joe Rothwell about something similar about you know the squad size because he's probably somebody who's been on the periphery of the side and I think probably a couple of weeks ago you always felt you were one injury away from you know getting getting into the side so whether now that changes where you think or oh, like I've, I've got to get through a, a a couple, but then on the other side, there's the complacency thing of, you know, do you just drift through a season if you've if you've got nobody competing for you for your place? So it, there are interesting dynamics. I think I think it does help everybody though to to bring in fresh faces. I think you could see the players will be lifted by uh, by those who have come in. You, Moberly was saying today about the training the last couple of days has just really got up a notch because of these players that have come in. This is. He's saying the players who were already at the squad want to show yeah. RV Elliott, Tribal Douglas, how good of players they are. So right. you'd like to think, from that point of view, that it will it will push a few onto um, onto new levels.
4: One one player that we haven't talked about yet that isn't a signing, but of course will be touted as being like a new signing. Where does Bradley Back fit in, Rich? Uh,
6: so I can't I can't do this question. <laughs> it really really gets to me. I like, it's as if like with uh, this, this is me. You know, we, we were talking about what player um, have we probably not got. I think you'd say to everybody, who would you bring back? You'd bring back Jordan Rhodes, who's going to guarantee you 20 goals. I think you look at this team now and you're desperately talked When I was last on, we talked about not bringing a forward in. Yeah, You need to share your 70 goals. You need probably 50-plus to come from Brereton, Armstrong, Gallagher, and back into that. If he comes back, anything like the Bradley Dack that we've seen, he's not... He's not one of those players that you need to build your, round, your side around because he's not a luxury player. As I, Two guys, my favourite footballer ever, but you needed to make allowances for two guy and that he could do certain things and needed to do other thing, other people to do things for him. Dak was pressing down and closing down long before it became yeah. pressing. <laughs> like yeah. he, he did it all himself. So Dak will find a way into the team and it'll just fit naturally from what from what they're trying to do. I looked at Corey Evans the other day. I'm a big Corey Evans fan. I don't think in a midfield three, playing the wide left is getting the best out of Corey Evans. No. I think he'd have to play, play in a two um, and you mix things around. So the, the way the games are going to come, if Dak's got another month before he's back, and then it's probably going to take him another couple of weeks to get back into this side. So see where, see where they are now. There might be players that are excelling, I think the wide positions are probably up for debate. Could they look to go three at the back and then you're changing it up again? So there's so many ways to, to get Dak in this team, but he's, he's got to be in the team because he's the most natural goal scorer at the club, is Bradley Dak. He gets, yeah. he gets in the team. I've not answered the question of where <laughs> I put him in, but he, <laughs> it's, it's not up to me, but he, get, he gets in the team.
4: I think you're absolutely right. So bringing lone players in is something of a, of a double-edged sword, and it's a conversation that we've had on previous episodes of the podcast. I'm just interested to see what our panellists think about what impact is it going to have on the development of our own players? So, Mike, you've got some thoughts on this. What, what, what are, are the pros and cons of bringing lone players in? I'm a, I'm actually
7: quite a big fan as long as it's done in the right doses. In In our financial position in particular, you know, it gives us access to a higher standard of player than we could realistically look to bring. And if we're paying for them outright, uh, we could use tossing from last year as a classic example. You know, you don't want to loan three or four players at the same time, but having him available, I mean, you know, he costs what? Many, many millions of pounds that we don't have. So I actually quite like it. The downside to it, of course, is you've then perhaps got like a young lad, like a Scott Wharton or a, Tyler Maguire, who then doesn't have a realistic shot, he's then held down from that side. So it isn't great in there. But, you know, football is so here and now, got to have everything in the next 10 minutes. Otherwise, I'm chucking my toys out the pram. And with that in mind, if a good lone player comes up that's genuinely better than what you've got, bring him in because that's the only way you're going to get that instant result out of it. And I, I think there's a lot more for it than against it.
4: Linz, we've talked about Tyrese Dolan earlier and I think he's captured everyone's imagination. How concerned would you be that bringing in someone like Elliot is going to impact on his ability to start in that team?
1: Uh, In no way concerned, because I think, not that I know him, but I feel like he's got the right attitude. So he's been great on the pitch and, you know, we can all see that. But, you know, the last couple of games, he's perhaps not set the world on fire as much as he had at the beginning of the season. But when I see him speak, when I see him to um, interact with fans on Twitter he just comes across as again coming back to that word attitude having the right attitude to get his head down work hard learn and actually for him he's way ahead of where he thought he was going to be you know he's a fan's favourite already there's kids running around Blackburn with his name on the back of his shirt we all love him so he can learn from Elliot, or he can show Elliot something, and I guess that's a choice for him. I'd be much more concerned if I was Harry Chapman than I would be if I was Tyree Stolen, to be honest.
6: Louis,
4: what do you think the future holds for Harry Chapman at Blackburn Rovers?
0: Sadly, I think it's I think it's coming to an end. I, I don't. He's, he's not been able to break into the first team as much as I think we'd all we'd all wanted him to when he you know when he rejoined. I think the the injuries he had uh, in that. Season in League One, and then the one he got, I think, on his first game back for Borough, I think, have really hindered his career. I think he's really knocked his confidence. Can't see him breaking, especially on the right side, ahead of Dolan or Elliot. Mowbray's really, really putting a point put a bet on Brereton to shine through this year, and I think okay, get a lot more goals. It's not a lot more chances, at least. I think that's what Douglas brings to this, brings to the side. It's quite surprising to see him on the bench on match days, and when he comes on, I don't get that feeling I did of. When in League One, I thought, like, oh hell, Harry Chapman's coming on. Oh yes, right, right. This is it. No, it's, uh, sadly, I, now it's a sadly, I've now I've not. There's no really love lost anymore for Harry Chapman. I don't think. I don't think his career lies at Blackburn Rovers. I think sadly it lies elsewhere. And obviously, I hope he, I hope he can sort of find some form and become the star man we all wanted him to be. But I don't think. I don't think it's going to happen. Sadly, I think he's. I think he's off.
4: Yeah, I can. I can see why you've got those concerns, Rich. Do you think? Mowbray knows what his best team is. Or do you think he's still experimenting? What sense do you get about having shoe-ins into certain positions?
6: I think having seen Tony Mowbray teams for what, is it more than three and a half years, I don't think he's ever had, a, ever had a strongest team. I don't think he believes in strongest teams. I think he is very much pick on the opposition. That's probably one thing he got accused of in the League One season, was thinking too much about the opposition and playing uh, playing around that. Um, I think the one thing that he's probably done a bit more this year is, you know, stick to four-three-three. I thought maybe at the weekend with the you know the players had got available, could go with Johnson and Evans as a midfield to get Gallagher back in there, so you know just get a bit, a bit, a few more different faces in there. So yeah, I think it worked, particularly with the games as well. I mean, there's seven games between the October and November international breaks. You look at the schedule that's coming up, I don't think we're going to see any team in the division name unchanged team after unchanged team. And I think that's probably why these additions are really coming to really boost the squad out. Because I think there's probably looking at the championship, it's going to be an open division. It could come down to something as simple as... Who's going to be able to last the course with with the players? I mean, you think that Rose have got a strong squad, but then you look at the weekend. Brennan was drafted in on the bench. Uh, Brad Lyons was next man in, so um, that just shows shows where they were at, to be honest. Uh, but then you fast forward to what tomorrow, and you could have seven of those players that were missing straight back in, and you're looking and thinking, oh well, things are suddenly looking looking better, um, and it's just going to be. I wrote the piece the other day, just judging, the balancing the expectation of what the new side signings have brought against that bit of patience to to wait for it to all come together.
4: Yeah, maybe not having fans in in that instance is, uh, is a good thing. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's been well, a fasc- fascinating dynamic, that one.
6: I'd have liked to have seen whether they would have got booed off at half-time on Saturday or whether it had just been one of those, you know... <laughs> Categorically Yeah, um, uh, Or whether it had just been one of those, you know, and it's just, like, not dreadful and that they've, like let the opposition run right you know, it's just a bit like yeah everybody's just happy to happy to get it over and done with and just hope for uh, hope for better in the yeah. uh, in the second half
4: there's a, i mentioned it on the last podcast but there's a terrific twitter account called footy archives which is uh, it's, it's a guy who used to live in blackburn who started tweeting the season 91 92 now he's up to uh, and of course this, you know, Don Mackay starts out there's money available to spend he brings in new players it doesn't quite gel we get off to a bad start the fans get on his back he gets booted out Tony Parks throws in four or five youngsters starts getting the results <laughs> and, and you're sort of thinking hello <laughs> I don't know whether Pep Guardiola is chucking his lot in at City then and coming to us uh, next month and leading us to, to playoff glory back in May but uh, it, it, I always think it's interesting to look back this was said those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it but look looking back at poor starts that we've had of seasons that you do remember as being good uh, and I can go back to the Howard Kendall one as well where we had a dreadful run before Christmas and in modern football there's no way he would have, he would have lasted the course um, but we, we eventually won promotion and almost won back-to-back promotion so on that note then what has all this activity done for our preseason uh, expectations, Mike? You weren't actually a- uh, available for the uh, for the prediction podcast, so this is your opportunity to stake a claim. Where are we going to finish reflecting these transfers that we've made in the window?
7: Just first, really. You know, that's, uh, you know. I'm joking. Um, it's uh, I'd sort of said last year twelfth, and and funnily enough, I was going to say the same this time. But I'd say in light of what we saw. On Friday, it's perhaps just raised their expectations a little bit. From there, I'd, I'd maybe stick my flag in something like ninth now, that yeah. sort of thing. I, I think I think we're still going to struggle in games like the ones we've seen the last two home games, where you know we don't have a lot of variety to the attacking play. Maybe Harvey Elliott can help out with that, but there's still little bits where we're just a bit reliant on Armstrong's pace over the top and then just randomly chucking balls into the box and hoping a midget on the other end nods it in or Brereton's still standing upright. The one thing that also has helped in terms of raising expectations I'm really, really enthused by how the defence is looking since it's sort of come together a little bit and... I've specifically requested this little slot about Thomas Kaminsky. I expect some background music to be put in in the <laughs> post-edit as well. But, you know, a tune Yeah, and, and it could all fall flat. Rich, I can see, staring with both his eyeballs at me saying, don't you dare jinx this. got the makings of an absolutely smashing goalkeeper. And for whatever we've paid for him, he looks an absolute class act. Confidence... You know, it just radiates it. And uh, I'll, I'm ready for my Twitter account tomorrow when he bundles one over our line in the... I so my my oh, phone's
4: yeah. ringing here. It, it, it's fate? That they want to speak to you?
7: <laughs> yeah. Something about Yeah, well, this, this is it. And, you know, I'm a known jinxer as well, so I'll take it. Give me what you got tomorrow at time, but, you know... I'd...
4: So you're saying nine to 10th. So is, is that what I got from you there?
7: I've got first 9th or 12th, so any of those things count. Okay, I'll play right, them okay. Old. Yeah.
0: Louis do you want to upgrade your prediction I do ever so slightly, though because I think I think I said uh, like between top 7th and 10th however not just like slightly missing out not just like oh god heartbreak on the final day I think I was like oh no our spirits will have been crushed the season a is, is over before then. we get to the last weekend yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm again I'm, I'm a sucker for a, a romantic football story as long as it evolves Blackburn and 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 nobody else I think we've got to so we've got to push for that top 6 I, I don't think we'll make it I, again, but I, th- I, I think we'll fall we'll slightly short of it. Yeah, but it's it, it, you know it's, this is the this is the best time in since, since we've gone down, essentially yeah. uh, since we've been relegated from Premier League. That is, Lens,
4: are you upgrading exactly. your expectations?
1: No, I'm sticking
4: Sixth sixth. Six? So in the playoffs, yeah. Rich, are you prepared to nail your colours to the mast, or are you staying out of this debate, hovering above it?
6: Uh, no, I'm currently staring at the league table. And I'm thinking, is the six better teams in the division? This is a big if, but if we get Bradley Dack that we've come to know and love, I think they'll finish in the top six. And I think there'd be no better time to go up and get the Premier League money than this season. And I think there's probably going to be a realization with everybody that this is a really open division. I think the three that have come down, I know, tempting fate that. Watford could put four or five past tomorrow and I know they've kept hold of quite I think yeah, that was a thing yeah, for the teams that have yeah. the teams that have come down have probably not really strengthened they've just managed to keep hold of players yeah. like Sarah but how, how bothered are they going to be and with January's not that far away um, so yeah I, I think top six I think and with the squad that they've got I think for the players a bit like Preston have seen where you know they're getting players into the final years of the contracts and they're Probably thinking a bit about the futures. I think for the squad that Rovers have got, they really need to be looking towards that top six. And I asked the manager this morning and he said, as a football coach, you'd rather have expectation than not. I'd rather be a favourite than someone who has to punch above the weight. But I know uh, that's what it's about. I know it works and that's what life is. And he's basically suggesting that he's been the one that's been trying to create the expectation. So I think he knows that he's going to get judged against that.
4: Well, yeah, he will, whether he wants it or not.
6: Yeah, and it it feels like everything's built towards this, this season and this point that we're now at, where you need to expect, and I think for a manager to have been in post for as long as he has, suggests that everybody's been happy with the way things are going. And you've had two seasons back in the Championship from League One, the first one where you've consolidated, the next one where you've pushed. The natural progression has to be to not just be in contention but to to get into that top six and I think with the squad that they've put together, I think it looks like a top six challenge for the season, mm. well,
4: but I think I, I somewhat t- tongue in tongue in cheek did a sort of like a, that Blackburn Rovers checklist. I think it was before the Fleetwood Town friendly, and at that point, we didn't have a goalkeeper on the books, centre backs <laughs> had gone, left backs here. We didn't have a kit, we didn't have a sponsor. Uh, there were no season ticket details, and the whole thing just looked utterly shambolic. And I think the, the mood in the camp at that point was this club has just slowly but surely. Uh, going down the pan here, if we're not careful. But uh, out of a sense of duty, as much as anything else, I revisited that list at the weekend, and we ticked everything off except the like-for-like replacement of Danny Graham. And I suppose you could argue, well, we bought Gallagher and Brereton to play up front, so we we bought the replacement before we lost Danny Graham. So we put ticks against everything. I didn't expect three goalkeepers, I have to say. If we can work out a way of playing three in one game, then that should be good for the goals conceded, Colin, but... Uh, as as we've, we've all said during the evening, it looks like there's good raw material there, but we've got to see whether it can gel. I don't know a great deal about Tribal, don't know a great deal about Douglas other than reputationally. Uh, similarly with Ayala, but I've been very impressed with him. And, and echoing Mark's point, I think Kaminsky has settled in very well. Elliot, yes, I've seen him play for Liverpool on TV he's um, it, clearly one of those maverick youngsters that you hear so much about it could go one way or the other but he, you yeah, know he's only on loan it's really exciting though I have to say <laughs> echoing what you said earlier Louis you know, we, we, there's no obvious weakness uh, uh, unless you know, 17 players <laughs> all go down with Covid and uh, we, you know, we lose 8 games on the bounce and then that's it kind of thing but We're setting this up for a hammering tomorrow at Watford, aren't we? We're absolutely setting this up. But it's a 46-game season, so we shall see. Um, Before we brought all those players in, I was really quite gloomy and I saw us going backwards. Now, I think we've got to be aiming. We've got to be aiming for the playoffs. I think there are at least four or five teams better than us. I think the three that came down, Brentford, I think will prove to be um, quite tricky opponents. Um, dare I say it, I think Preston will probably have a decent season because they've got quite a settled side. It'd be nice to beat them in a derby as well. That's That's been long overdue. So, on that basis, um, if it all comes good, that's great. We're either booking um, slots in front of the TV or slots in hotels, depending on what happens in May for the playoffs, perhaps. But if they don't, when, when are they going to see the first Mowbray out hashtag? How much patience do we think the Rovers fans have got, Mike?
7: Oh, I've got a lifetime's worth, mate. but, um, you know, uh, I I think realistically, and I'm more or less echoing what other people are saying, but, you know, this is the season really where it's got to realistically look like, uh, you know, we're going to make the playoffs, because I think we've had a few years, a couple of years back in the championship now, we're like, right, we've all established, we've added good players, it's got to come together at some point, and... um, you know, we've had a. I would say realistically, if it's not looking like it's going to happen around December-January time, it's probably going to be about the cutoff point. I know that sounds a bit harsh, almost to a certain extent, but you can't have that squad that we have together now. You look at it and think, well, you know, other fans are looking at our squad and the business we did at the end of the transfer window and thinking, wow, that's actually quite impressive, and it needs to translate into some results and fairly quickly. So I'd say if we hit January time and it's not looking likely. I can't see how the owners can turn around and, and, and say, yeah, we'll keep backing him with things because gotta, it's got to come together at some point. And he's yeah, a slow burn is it. a slow burn,
4: but when you've, you've plugged all the gaps, yeah. then it's, it's not yeah, unreasonable I mean, to expect things to happen.
1: I think there's some like legitimate criticism in terms of it worries me. I still don't think he knows what his best eleven is, and I appreciate maybe that's not the type of manager he is, but... I think we need to have that confidence in who we pick and that we can take on a team rather than worrying about who they are playing. I think he has to live and die by the fact he's paid five million for Galley and seven million all in for Beryton. You know, I get it isn't mil, but that 7 mil will follow him for the rest of his life now. Um, So I think he isn't without criticism, but we know that people will go off the deep end because we seem to think we've got a God-given right to win every game 5-0. But I think that's half the fun, to be honest. I love a Twitter meltdown (laughs) on a Saturday when you've lost. At least you get to watch people like posting hilarious gifts and falling out with each other so it's win-win we either win and we're all happy or we lose and we can laugh at each other
4: misery loves company as they say Louis will Tony Mowbray still be Blackburn Rovers manager at the end of the season
0: uh, yes
4: ok that's really
0: cool. Yes, based on my prediction yes he will <laughs> but I mean Mowbray needs to get I think needs to at least put a challenge in this year like a serious challenge in this yeah. year not, not like a challenge of the last couple of years Of it goes really really well until the New year and then it just falls off a cliff, like it's serious right until sort the, the last moment challenge for the playoffs at least
4: now, I think that I think this is this is a critical season there's no doubt about that. I think he, he has been backed in circumstances where I think it would have been easier to rationalize no spending at all um, because of COVID and all that sort of good stuff. And I think we're in, a, we're in a far better shape than we were last year, and I think we're in a far better shape than many championship clubs, the three that have come down with the parachute money. I think you've just got to write those off. But playoffs, yeah, I think that's got to be a realistic aspiration. Well, we shall see. As we say, we've tempted fate hugely, not just for the season, but especially for tomorrow night.
6: Just just to add to that thing about Melbourne, I've got um, a bit of a theory in that things tend to escalate around Preston away. Uh, and I'm just looking at the fixture list here. and the f- We're going to win that one this the- year, aren't we? the second game after the November international break is Preston I'm thinking back to the game where where they lost 4-1 where things were really out of hand the game where they were 2-0 up and lost yeah, 3-2 if they got really out of hand the game they lost 1-0 Daniel Johnson penalty they'd not won in 7 at that point that's when they had that real slump in early 2019 so they tend to be the ones where Preston come around and bad things seem to happen to Blackburn Rovers so just hoping this time around, law of averages, um, it's got
4: to flip, hasn't it? It's
6: yeah, I'm yeah. hoping at the time I'm writing about Bradley Duck making a glorious return, they win at Luton up on the back of the international break, and we're going to go to Preston actually put that right rather than it being, oh, Mowbray's had 12 or 13 games into yeah. this season, things aren't working. Uh, I think that could probably be a pivotal point. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm hoping my theory of, uh, Preston putting the mockers on, everything won't come <laughs> won't come right this time.
7: Yeah, it just it just ticked off in my head then when Rich said about Preston in November. After they lost to Preston last year when uh, Gally scored twice and then they chucked it right at the end. That After that match, everybody, and I mean everybody basically was saying, I can't see how Mowbray has a future at the club and then yet yeah, here we are a year later and he's still here. Saying exactly the same things. thing. He, <laughs> yeah. he, you know, we've said it four or five times, so when you're you keep, you know, you're asking about how long will Mowbray stay here, you know, he's probably one of the great Houdinis at the moment, because every time they have this 6-7 barren run, they just stick with him, and he digs it out and turns it around. So, yeah. fair play to him. definitely.
6: So the next game after Preston, that that one was um, Sheffield Wednesday, where obviously Adrobayo had, had his, his Nando's note, and then Buckley scored, and then... Walton pulled off the best save I saw him pull off in his whole Blackburn Rovers career from a goal that if it had gone and it was a mile offside and they didn't get flagged. So that, that would have been Blackburn Rovers having scored a last, well, 93rd minute goal and still managed to, to <laughs> draw. I think that that would have probably been the That for me was a real... Turning point in Mowbray yeah. as was the Barnsley one as well. I think when they beat Barnsley late on, they were yeah, there were,
4: there were two. That was the first right? game back after Trifers, the
6: he, Yeah, I think I think and I think Mowbray did as well. He that if you talk to Mowbray about the point where he felt the fans had turned, that Barnsley game will yeah. go down as his, as his one. I think where he'll always look back on the
4: Like Barnsley way for throwing uh, coil, if you remember. Oh.
7: Yeah. Uh, the, um, the, you joke about that Barnsley game by the way I was sat with someone at Barnsley at home and someone said like they look rubbish they're just defending, terrible they're playing Brentford in midweek they're going to get stuffed and they played Brentford three days later and absolutely walloped them off the park it was like <laughs> watching a different team, it was unreal
4: fantastic listen guys I've taken enough of your time I really really appreciate it so uh, going around my zoom window here Mike thanks as always for your contributions Greatly welcomed. Louis, thanks for your help and contributions. That's terrific. Linz, once again, stalwarts of the pod, as I say. Always always nice to hear. And Rich, once more, uh, a degree of professionalism on the pod is always welcome. And you always provide it. So thank you for that. Uh, notwithstanding your lack of preparation, people, I think you, you all had secretly done some homework. And I think you'd secretly. Uh, I've, been, done
6: some- no, I've been busy today. It's press conference day. So still catching up from last <laughs> Friday, which was just the most mental day. Uh, Absolutely. Ever. That wasn't Blackburn Rovers. No, in the nicest um, possible way, though. We
4: didn't have four unexpected departures, which I think is what we Yeah, I mean, I mean,
6: Yeah, I mean, d- I do think they did set it up as a bit of a super Friday. I think the signals on Douglas and Tribal were very yeah. much... I got yeah. a text at quarter past six the day before saying these are happening today, and I was like, you could stay a bit later if you wanted and get these uh, get these done. And when I got the text saying one's at 11 and one's at 12, I was like, this is all coming together quite... Uh, Gets and gets
4: so, uh, just a pity we can't yeah, get into the ground of course to watch
6: them That's the yeah sure. no that is it, I mean the hour you put the team news out and the next hour is just horrendous Like it is literally just sat waiting you're just like watching them warm up and I think you just I mean to be fair a lot of the time and you can't sit inside now and there's no press room that's open yeah. so you have to sit outside so you can't even like watch the football that's going on so that's it's it's awful, it really is. There should, like, should have been the excitement on Saturday before the game of everybody coming talking about the sign yeah, and it's quiet. just dead. It, it's, um, Twitter, yeah, Twitter has
4: a place and, and all that sort of good stuff, but it's nothing like physically being yeah. there and meeting up in the pub beforehand and having those conversations and uh, anyhow, that's a different conversation for a different day. Thanks once again, I really appreciate your help and contributions in putting this together and um, we'll speak soon I'm sure. Thanks everyone.
6: No worries. Okay, thank you. All right, Ian.
0: Thanks, Ian. Much appreciated. See in? you later.
4: So it's my pleasure to welcome back once again, uh, Joe Harvey from uh, Rovers Analytics. You can follow him on, is it at Analytics Rovers, Joe? Is that right on Twitter? That's the one, yeah.
2: Uh, and um, yeah. we're
4: going to talk about something that I'm, I'm always quite interested in: is possession stats. Uh, Tony Mowbray has, in the past, said that he he favoured a high possession game, and I've always wondered whether possession is just a correlation with success, or whether it causes success. And I'd thrown this question out there, and Joe caught it and had run with it, and he's produced a graphic which he circulated on Twitter. So, Joe, tell us. What does possession mean and what does it matter for Rovers? And should we get excited about it?
2: Um, I think possession is an interesting stat. Most people think high possession is good. Um, Some people think loads of possession is really bad. And I think the true answer is that possession is massively variable. It's about what you do with the ball. It's about where that possession is. Is it passive? Are you looking threatening? Are you playing the ball in the final third? So... Possessions is a really difficult statistic to measure on its own. Um, so what we've tried to do is um, measure possession against uh, wins, losses and draws. So you can kind of get an idea as to whether there is a correlation or a causation, as you've said. So um, what we've done is um, pinpointed um, all of Rover's results since the 22nd of October 2019 mm-hmm. to now, not including the Watford game. Um, and kind of put them in a win draw and loss section and then along the bottom on the other axis um, you can see the percentage of possession that we had in the game. Now firstly obviously people can check out that graphic, it's an interesting little look Uh, but as you said there's there's kind of no indication in there as to whether that's something that's caused or Or is a correlation? So are we winning because the possession's lower or higher? Or is the possession lower or higher because we're winning? Etc, etc. And that's something that's really difficult to judge. So yeah, so what you can see on there really, and we'll start with losses. Um, Our average possession over the last year in league games is 53.2% when we are losing games. Um, So we are actually having a lot of the ball, seemingly, when we lose, whether there's a correlation between... Loss and possession or not, we don't know, but that's just a fact in front of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Draws, uh, 51.1%, so slightly less, but still a positive uh, possession. And then wins is at 50%, which still technically positive, but lowest of the three result types. So um, we can see on there, obviously, we've got some massive outliers. So a really low 31% possession loss against Leeds United, which luckily we don't have to worry about this season because Leeds United have buggered off to the Premier League. (laughs) Uh, thank, Thank the Lord, because I don't think anybody wants to play a team like that. And then obviously we've got some really high ones as well. So in the wins column, we've got Wickham, Sheffield Wednesday, Whole City over the past calendar year where we've won games by a significant amount of goals and just absolutely dominated the ball. Again, whether it's a case of we're scoring loads of goals and that's why we've got loads of ball or, you know, we're scoring loads of goals because we've got lots of balls, yeah. it's really hard to say. But that's the gist of the graphic, really, yeah. Yeah,
4: it, it, it did catch my attention, to say, because it, it is a bit of a book of mine. Because when Mowbray stated he wanted lots of possession... It made out that he got players at his disposal, but you know, like the, the the total football side of of Holland in 1974, which you're far too young to remember, but players that are interchangeable in lots of positions, and you, you know, you've got the ball and you're teasing the opposition. And all due respect to the squad that we've got, I don't think we're we're that kind of team. And what this has borne out to me is the differences in the possession percentages between win, drawn, and loss are so small as to be almost negligible and as you say there's loads and loads of outliers um in in each category so it's almost like winning drawing or losing is a function of how much form you're in at the time and who you're playing well who'd have thunk it and then of course we had wednesday didn't we we have loads of possession we have loads of chances but we lost what 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 do you know about rxg then in those games joe
2: Yeah, so XG, for those that don't know, is expected goals, and that's the calculation that everybody disputes. Uh, It basically takes into account the distance from goal, the type of chance that's being created. You know, is it a header? Is it a weak foot shot? How far out are we? Where's the keeper? How many defenders are back? And it calculates a figure to say how much of an expected goal any given chance may be, Uh, and then they all get collated together for a final figure at the end of the game. So uh, against Watford, we had 67% possession, lost the game 3-1, and our expected goals was quite high at 2.63. So frustratingly, we scored well under half the goals we should have done in the game. Um, But we kind of talked a little bit on Twitter about how that's potentially because of the types of chances that you're creating. So when you've got 67% possession of the ball, the, the indication is that you're having ball in the opposition half, at least somewhat, um, and there's less space in behind. I think we saw against Derby County, uh, when we had 36% possession and won the game 4-0, the types of chances that your Ben Breritons and your Adam Armstrongs and your Joe Rothwells and your Tyrese Dolans will put away are where they're running from deep um, and running with the ball at a defence that's tracking back because they've been caught out. Uh, And Watford showed their Premier League class for me. They didn't get caught out, really. Uh, The Brereton goal, I think, had the lowest expected goals figure of any shot in the game. Um, Interestingly, Ben Foster on his YouTube channel, which is really cool if you check it out, he claims that it was a big goalkeeping mistake um, and that he should have saved it. Um, (laughs) But I think it was just a great shot. But we'll always dispute that, I think.
4: I think it caught him out. Looking at it, I don't don't think think he expected a shot from that distance, Hmm. and with some justification, given the form that he was in that
2: night.
4: (laughs) You may say that I couldn't possibly comment, but it was great to to see Brereton prepared to take it on. That's what that's what I took from that.
2: I I found it funny. He can't score from two yards, but he can score from twenty-five. But. Good for him. Great goal. Well, 30
4: goals a season from 25
2: yards, that'll do me. So obviously in the last four games, we've kind of seen a continuation of what the original graphic that we're discussing uh, purports and puts forward. Derby County, which is a win, 36% possession. Cardiff, which was a boring 0-0 draw, we had 59% possession. Then we lost to Forest 1-0, we had 59% possession again. We lost to Watford 3-1, we had 67% possession So right now this season, the trend is continuing. When teams let us have the ball, uh, we can't break them down. They stick 10 men behind us, Mm. they get a man sent off, they've got nine men behind us, uh, and we we don't know what to do. I think we've definitely benefited from Holtby being back in the side, uh, and I think that's why you can see the difference. An expected goals ratio of 0.6 against Nottingham Forest, Holtby then returns and we're up to 2.63. I believe there's some causation there and not just correlation. Yeah. Uh, But again, that's up for debate, isn't it?
4: Well, he created the penalty, didn't he? Which I suppose, does a penalty have an XG of pretty close to one, I would have thought? Is it (laughs) 0.8 for a penalty from memory?
2: Difficult. Everybody decides differently. I think the data we use is one. Some, Some people say differently. Some people don't give it anything at all unless they were taking a shot. Depending on where the penalty is in the box. So, yeah. I think one is the is where we get our data from but everybody disagrees on it so right it's difficult
4: so yeah there's a, there's, a, there's only one way you can go if the the xg is one from the penalty spot i guess and you're going to miss some so you're always going to be under yeah. aren't you you can't you can't score more than one goal with a penalty Yeah, and i think
2: he was always going to save it wasn't he he had such a good oh, game and he, and the net yeah. looked tiny as he was yeah. stepping up to take it i yeah. think we all knew didn't we just yeah
4: It was just, well, it's just one of those nights. It's one of those nights that you see, as a football supporter, you'll see, as a Rover supporter, we will say that we have more than our fair share of them. But yeah. I think that's just confirmation bias because we see more of our games. But let's just chalk it down to experience and hope that um, we, get, we get something yeah. better against Coventry on Saturday. Joe, thank you very much for that insight. As always, you're very welcome. And I know you, you're doing video shows, so you can see lots and lots of graphics with um, Andy Watson on the Rovers Chat YouTube channel. Is that right?
2: Yeah, and we've, um, we're live streaming now post-match. Uh, On Twitter, doing post match reviews. Very brave. We get live questions that put us on the spot, and (laughs) I have to present myself because I'm on video. But yes, so check out all the stuff, and I really appreciate the platform.
4: That's fantastic. Thanks once again, Joe, and we'll speak to you again in the future, I'm sure. Joe,
2: thanks for that.
6: closest it did come you know this shot on Saturday I was right behind the Lyle Taylor one that swerved and I actually mm. like jumped up out my seat a bit because I thought he's palming that straight in yeah. um because that is one of his traits he is very good at not mm. going to do this tomorrow but not palming it straight back into the danger area he, he does um mm. uh, he does uh he does knock it away from goal but that that one did have me uh did have me jumping a bit
7: Yeah, uh, the best—the best thing, best you are like this—is we sponsored an event in our work, so I got a little ten-minute spot on Zoom in the middle of a, uh, a conference to speak to everyone and promote our uh, our product. And literally, when I started speaking, there was about 150 on this thing, uh, and I could just see the people dropping like flies. I think they were thinking the is that ten minutes to slope up and get a cup of tea or something like that. Um, you know, when people just turn like the camera off on the thing and then the sound down, you're like I know where you've gone. Oh
0: yeah. You're.
4: the other thing that I've got to be very wary of is reflection in the glasses so, so if, if I'm there earnestly like nodding and then I go to my phone and I've got my phone below the camera but then <laughs> the reflection of the screens in your glasses makes lot like scrolling through Twitter or whatever
1: And
0: you're listening to the BRMCS podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All oh, your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget,
4: snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in?